بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الغدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محتثاتها وكل محتثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار uh, So we continue today, this is our eighth lesson on this uh, brief risala on the virtues and excellences of the kalima La ilaha illallah and today we start with hadith number 23. Uh, in the previous lesson, we looked at the uh, previous three ahadith, hadith number 20, 21, 22. And in those ahadith, we saw that they were connected to uh, the first two hadith on the issue of death, the approach of death and what takes place after death. And how in each of those two situations, uh, when a person is... Uh, on the throes of death, that he is encouraged to say this kalima, la ilaha illallah, indicating the greatness of this kalima and uh, indicating the virtue of this kalima. And likewise, when a person is in the grave, he will be, he will be asked about this kalima. And it is in the grave when Allah he makes a believer to be firm by giving a firm answer answering with the with the kalima again indicating the greatness of this kalima and we also pointed out the fact that the person's ability to answer correctly in the grave is in accordance with the extent to which he actualized this kalima in his life and that's what it what will make it easy for a person to answer the questions correctly in the grave the actualization of Tawheed, which means, first of all, to have knowledge of what it is and what it means. And secondly, to act upon it in the sense that a person makes all of his worship for Allah, and then he is sincere in that worship as well. In the sense that it is not for the sake of the dunya, for praise, for fame, for show, and so on and so forth. And to the extent that he is upon that and is truthful, he has sidq, then he will find it easy to answer correctly in the grave. And the third hadith was on the hadith of that man who comes with great amount of evil deeds, 99 records of evil deeds, and he has one record in which is the testimony of La ilaha illallah, and how it will overturn the other scrolls. And we discussed some of the issues connected uh, to that. So we start today then, hadith number 23, عن أبي سعيد الخضري رضي الله عنه عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. And so from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, who narrates, who uh, who reports from the Messenger of Allah Sallam that he said, قال قال موسى يا ربي علمني شيئا أذكرك أذكرك وأدعوك به. O Allah, Musa said, O my Lord. Teach me something by which I can remember you and invoke you by it. Make dua to you by way of it. 
So he said, Say, O Musa, La ilaha illallah. So Musa al-Islam, he replied and he said, Qala ya Rabb, kullu ibadik yaquluna hadha. O my Lord, all of your servants, they say this. Qala ya Musa, law anna samawati sab'a wa'amirahunna ghayri wal-ardina sab'a fi kiffatin wa la ilaha illallah fi kiffatin lamalat bihinna la ilaha illallah. So he replied, O Musa, Allah Azzawajal, he replied, O Musa, if the heavens and the earth, and whatever they contain, whatever they, whatever they contain, meaning of beings and entities, and likewise the seven earths, if they were in one side of, of a scale, fi kiffatin, in one cup or one side of a scale, and la ilaha illallah was in another cup or another uh, side of the scale, then it would outweigh, it would outweigh, La ilaha illallah would outweigh them. Now this hadith is related by Ibn Hibban and Al-Hakim. However, uh, the hadith, Shaykh Al-Bani, he says that it is da'if. Uh, he mentions this in da'if al-targhib wa tarheeb However, as we mentioned with the previous hadith, that the meaning that the hadith conveys is found in numerous other hadith. And so it is really the meaning that we are looking at uh, which we are extracting from this hadith, as well as some other benefits which, which are indicated on the basis of this report. So, from what can be taken from this hadith then, of benefits, first of all, and this is the point of evidence that we are extracting, which relates to our subject, the virtue and the excellence of La ilaha illallah, the fadl of La ilaha illallah, and that there is nothing whatsoever which equals this kalima on the mizan, on the scales, nothing. Even to the degree that the entire creation, the heavens and the earth and whatever they contain, they would not be able to equal the weight of la ilaha illallah on the scales. And in fact, even if there were multiple creations, why? Because this kalima la ilaha illallah, it speaks, it mentions, the right of Allah Azza wa Jal. If Allah Azza wa Jal wants to create another creation, then that creation, the right upon them would be that they would have to worship Allah. And that kalima, likewise, would outweigh that creation. And if Allah Azza wa was, was to create another creation, that creation, the right upon them would be to worship Allah because He is their creator, He is their maker, He is their provider, He is their sustainer. And so that right always persists. Which means that not just this creation, but whatever is besides Allah, then there is nothing from all of that whose weight and whose excellence would outweigh the excellence and the weight and the fadl, the, the virtue of the kalima la ilaha illallah. So nothing is equivalent in the balance to the kalima la ilaha illallah. And for that reason, when Musa salam, according to this report, he requested from Allah Azza wa Jal to teach him something by which he can do numerous things. Number one, to remember him, to remember Allah. Number two, to praise Allah, to make thana upon Allah. Number three, to make tawassal to Allah. Because Allah's 
you know, the, the, the mention of Allah and His names and so on and so forth is a means of tawassal to Allah. And likewise, to make dua to Allah. So Musa al-Islam wanted to do all of these things, these three or four things. A dua, a tawassal, dhikr, a thana. And this is what he asked. So, he was commanded with what? With stating, La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. Which indicates again the greatness of this kalima, La ilaha illallah. The next benefit is that we see that sometimes on the basis of this report, that the prophets are informed and are notified of the virtue and the excellence of Tawheed. So according to the report, Allah Azawajal, when Musa Islam asked about a particular supplication, he was informed and ordered with La ilaha illallah as a notification of its excellence. Of its excellence. And also from the benefits is that this kalima outweighs all of the creation. And however, there are some people for whom the weight of this kalima will not be, will not be the same. And that is because the absence of siddhaq. So the weight of this kalima for a servant is in accordance with his sincerity and his truthfulness and all of the other things which come as part and parcel of this kalima, in particular the, the seven conditions, the ikhlas of a person, the, uh, the, the ilm first of all, the knowledge of its meaning and the depth of the knowledge of its meaning and then certainty in its meaning, the depth of certainty and then uh, the qabul, the acceptance, the inqiyad, the compliance, the sidq, the truthfulness and so on and so forth. And so to the extent that a person brings these affairs, then to that extent will his kalima be weighty and heavy. And then we see, we, for example, we have the munafiqun, the hypocrites, for whom it will carry no weight. Because there is no siddha, there is no truthfulness, there is no ikhlas, there is no sincerity. And so this indicates to us that the kalima, when we, when we read these narrations, and many narrations have passed with a similar meaning as well, about the weightiness of the kalima. What is that based upon? It's not based upon just merely saying the kalima. It is based upon these other considerations and these other factors. And from servant to servant to servant, the weight of that kalima will vary. And so this indicates to us the importance of having knowledge of this kalima by reflecting upon the Qur'an, reflecting upon the stories of the Prophets, reflecting upon how they call the people, reflecting upon the arguments, the shubuhat that the people brought against the Tawheed of Allah Azawajal, reflecting upon the responses uh, that, the, that the Prophets were ordered with. All of this gives a person an insight into the Tawheed of the Messengers. And likewise, studying what the scholars have written in this regard, like Shurut La Ilaha Illallah of Shaykh Al-Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab Rahimahullah. And looking at those conditions, reflecting upon them, understanding them. And you know, all of these things, the person, the more he engages in this and the more he engages upon uh, understanding these affairs, the more weighty will be his statement, La ilaha illallah. And likewise, the more a person reflects upon the signs, the ayat of Allah, which are all around, the more he sits and reflects and observes and thinks about the greatness 
the greatness of the creation of Allah and the favors. All of this is something which inculcates it. It feeds that tawheed which is in a person's heart and makes it grow and take root. And to the extent that a servant engages in all of this and actualizes this tawheed, then to that extent will this kalima be weighty for that person on the day of judgment. That's another benefit that we take uh, from that. And also we see here in this particular text, and it is also found in the Qur'an and other texts as well, other authentic texts as we shall see, that there are seven earths. There are seven heavens and there are seven earths. So the seven heavens are above. And when we speak of a heaven, we are speaking of a physical construction. We don't mean a sky and a space, an open space. A sama is an actual physical construction. And it has gates, it has doorways, which have keepers and guards. And there are seven of those. So there are seven earths, just like there are seven heavens. And also from this, there is the affirmation of the uluwa of Allah Azawajal, the highness, the aboveness of Allah Azawajal, above the seven heavens, uh, above his creation. And also from the benefits that we take from this is that there, is, that there will be a mizan, we believe in the mizan, you know, that it has two kifatain, uh, you know, two, two uh, cups or two you know, sides that measure. So this is hadith number 23. And we move now to the next hadith, hadith number 24. And in this hadith is an indication of the best thing which a father can give advice to his children when he is about to die or pass away. So from Abdullah an Abdullah bin Umar radiyallahu anhuma anin nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam قَالَ نُوحٌ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ لِبْنِهِ عِنْدَ مَوْتِهِ Nuh said to his son when he was about to die, upon his death, أَمِرُكَ بِلَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ فَإِنَّ السَّمَاوَاتِ السَّبْعِ وَالْأَرْضِينِ السَّبْعِ لَوْ وُدِعَتْ فِي كِفَّةٍ وَوُدِعَتْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ فِي كِفَّةٍ لَرَجَحَتْ بِهِنَّ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ so from Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhuma from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam who said, Nuh alayhi salam, he said to his son when he was about to die, I command you with la ilaha illallah. For indeed, the seven heavens and the seven earths, if they were placed upon one side of, of a scale, one cup of a scale, and la ilaha illallah was placed in the other, then la ilaha illallah would overwhelm them. And this hadith is reported by Imam Ahmed al-Hakim al-Bukhari in al-Adab al-Mufrad and it is declared sahih by Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah ta'ala. So in this hadith there are a number of benefits then. First of all again the point that relates to our topic which is the excellence of la ilaha illallah, the fadl, the virtue, and that there is nothing which equals La ilaha illallah in the Mizan, similar to what we saw in the previous hadith. Secondly, is that this is the best legacy, the best advice by which offspring, children can be advised with, 
at the point of death. We see this in fact is the way of the prophets. So in this hadith, authentic hadith, we see Nuh salam advising his son with La ilaha illallah, meaning with knowledge of its meaning and actualizing its meaning in one's speech, in one's deeds. We see that Ibrahim salam and Ya'qub salam they both gave this advice as well to the offspring. And we see in the Quran, Allah Zawajal, He says, وَوَصَّى بِهَا إِبْرَاهِيمُ بَنِيهِ وَيَعْقُوبُ يَا بَنِيَّ إِنَّ اللَّهَ اسْتَفَى لَكُمُ الدِّينِ فَلَا تَمُوتُنَّ إِلَّا وَأَنْتُمْ مُسْلِمُونَ That Ibrahim and Ya'qub, that, he, that, that uh, Ibrahim gave advice to his offspring, likewise Ya'qub, saying, O oh my children, indeed Allah has chosen you, Allah has chosen for you the deen. So do not die except whilst you are Muslims. Except while you are Muslims. Surah Al-Baqarah 2 verse 132. And likewise Ibrahim he made this kalima to be something that will remain in his offspring. وَجَعَلَهَا كَلِمَةً بَاقِيَةً فِي لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ That he made this to be a, a word that remains like as, as a legacy amongst his offspring. In order that they may return. Surah Al-Zukhruf 43 verse number 28. So this is the way of the prophets and messengers. And it is the best that a person can give advice to his offspring. At the point of death. As the approach of death. Also from the benefits that we take from this hadith. Is clearly that the deen of all of the prophets is one and the same. And it is Islam. And Islam here, it means tahqiq la ilaha illallah. It means to actualize la ilaha illallah. This is the meaning of the Islam that all the prophets and messengers that they call to. Likewise, from the benefits that we take from this again, like the previous hadith, is the mention of the mizan once again, and its scales of measurement, the two scales, the two sides. And also from that is... Like the previous hadith, a mention that the earths are seven in number, just like the heavens are seven in number. So these earths, and al-ardin, sabr, that the that the earths are seven. Now from all of this, we see, and this has come up frequently in you know the previous hadith and some other hadith as well, that this is knowledge that Allah has mentioned to us in the Quran, and the messenger. Ali is mentioned to us in the Sunnah. And this ilm, this ilm of the heavens being seven and the earths being seven, this is ilm which is yaqini. It is certain knowledge. There is no shak in this knowledge. And when we see that, that which we see the disbelievers and the atheists among them, this is the, the great and tremendous issue in our times. We see that before this time, in the centuries before, and in fact in the whole of history, as the scholars always mention, Ibn al-Qayyib, Ibn Taymiyyah, that no one in history ever denied a creator. Not even Fir'aun, and not even you know, the greatest tyrants. They knew inwardly that there is a creator. Fir'aun, he was convinced that there is a Lord, he was just arrogant, purely arrogant. Nimrud, against whom Ibrahim al-Islam argued, and he confounded him in argument when he told him, 
that Allah brings the sun from the east, then you bring it from the west. And he was confounded, he couldn't. And this, you know, showed his incapability and he does not possess rububiyyah, despite his claim that he can cause people to die and cause people to live. So he was confounded, he was arrogant. So these, these people, they actually knew the truth. They knew the truth inwardly, they knew Allah's rububiyyah. So before this time, never ever has this really been the case where a large number of people, they are openly challenging the rububiyyah of Allah Azawajal. Meaning deny that there is a creator, denying that they have a Lord, denying that they are in receipt of favors and bounties and you know all of these delights that they enjoy on a daily basis. Denying that all of this comes from a masterful, skillful creator. So before this, there was never anything like this. And the reason why this, 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 this has come about is that these people who are misguiding people into believing into you know, this atheism and so on and so forth, we take lessons from the stories of the prophets of the past. We see with Fir'aun, he employed magicians in order to deceive the people and to trick the people. And to perform sihr, وَسَحَرُوا أَعْيَنُ nas To perform sihr upon the, upon the eyes of the people, to make them see things which are not even real. To make them, to bewitch their eyes, or to make them see things which are not really, really real. To, to use tricks and deception. Whether that involves the jinn on occasions, or whether it is just simply the deception and the trickery of the, you know, of, of whatever means are available. Whatever... Uh, means, mechanisms, ways are available. And in our time, the means and mechanisms that these people are using is technology. It is technology. They are using technology in order to pretend and to defraud the people and to make them believe that there are multiple universe, there are there are multiple, you know, multiple earths, not in this sense, what we what what, what in the sense of what is in the Quran but in the sense that there are, you know, other beings and there is other life and there are, you know, millions of suns and millions of planets and, you know, someday we'll be able to go out there and reach them. All of these ideas, they are not new ideas. These ideas, when you go back to the old mystery religions, the mushriks of old, you see, amongst them, they used to have the same ideas. That there are spirits inside the stars there are other beings and one day as we illuminate in knowledge, we increase in knowledge, we will one day be able to reach the stars. You will find these ideas amongst the mushriks of old, amongst those who were into astrology. And this was their, their, their shirk, this was the, the reasoning behind their shirk. And so all these people have done today, these people who are behind you know, pushing this atheism, they are, they are the same old mushrikun, the same old... Uh, uh, type of people upon the same religion, they say the same thing. It's identical. They are saying that there is alien life. There is life is accidental. There are you know, on one day we'll be able to reach the stars. We shall become eternal. We'll know how to live forever, and we'll know how to create ourselves. Same same ideas. So what they are doing is they are simply using technology as a means of deceiving the eyes of the people. That's all they're doing. So everything you see about space travel and going to the moon and going to the Mars and all this nonsense, all of this is kadib. 
It is a lie. It's an absolute lie. And our scholars, there many, many uh, decades ago, uh, Sheikh Al-Tawajri, uh, I believe, he wrote a book on uh, ast- uh, astronomy. And in there he refutes the claims that the Russians, you know, sent uh, like a satellite to the moon and things like that. And he has an elaborate refutation of all of this. And our scholars are correct in this. It has now become clear, evidently, and the evidence is clearly established. And they are making admissions that it is impossible to leave the earth. You cannot leave the earth. No man has been more, has been higher than about 50 to 60 kilometers. You cannot go any higher than that. It's impossible. And so, you know, it's just not possible for you to go beyond, beyond that point. So everything else that you see that they are telling you about going to Mars and going to this, all of this is just, it's CGI. It's the, again, it's the sihar of the eyes, using technology. And everything that you see when they're in the so-called space station, all of that, what they have is they have, like you have Photoshop for images. When you have Photoshop, it's like all based upon layers, right? So you create layers and you have a canvas, you have a background, then you put something else in. So basically it works on layers. They now have technology whereby in real time you can do the same with video, right? So you can have a video feed, which is on one layer, just like you do with images, then on other layers of the of the of the of the of the thing, you can inject things. You can inject things in real time. In real time, you can find this. It's all out there. It's it's nothing hidden. It's all out there. So what they do is, when you see the things apparently floating and moving around, that's injected into the actual, um, you know, the image, right? And then they also use like strings and all sorts and to fake. You know, this is how they're doing it. This is how they're doing it. Because, as, as we said, it is impossible for a person to go beyond a certain point and rockets cannot work in a vacuum. Rockets cannot work in a vacuum. So what they've done is, they've, they've put a lot of these lies and they've embedded them into the science from many, many decades ago. So all of this, we should have yaqeen in the speech of our Lord, in the speech of Allah Azawajal, about the heavens, about the earth, and you know whatever else that we find, and we should not be deceived by these people because what they are doing is the same as the magicians of Fir'aun. They're using technology to bamboozle people. They're using this what they call you know, fake reality. What they're doing is this: the so-called thing to do with the Mars mission. They've able to now create uh, holograms. Right, you can go and find. You can see it online. Where there'll be a man sitting here, he'll be wearing uh, goggles, and there'll be another man in another building, in another building, and they'll have a screen, and on a screen, they're projecting an image of a Mars landscape, and whatever that man is doing in the other building, it's being projected onto that landscape, and that man with the goggles can actually see it, and he's projected onto a screen. Right, and you cannot tell the difference. It's 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 totally real. You can't tell the difference, but it's projected on a screen. So through this, you can make it appear that something is taking place when it's not. Right. So one man is in three places at the same time. There's a man in the building over there who's he's wired up and he's walking around. Then he's projected on the screen as well, and at the same time, he's allegedly in Mars. Right. 
So all of this, this, this uh, simulation, the technology, is there where it would be indistinguishable from an actual recording of, a, of, a, of an actual event. It's indistinguishable. You cannot tell with the eyes. You can't tell. Right? So through this, they are deceiving people into believing their fairy tales and their fabrications and their conjectures to do with the creation, with what to us is the creation. This is their way of denying, arrogantly, arrogant denial. They know that they are misleading mankind. They know that. The people who know at the top, they know that they are mis misguiding mankind. They are misleading mankind. So, we mention this because these are issues which confuse a lot of Muslims because they... they, they because of the certainty with which these ideas are presented in the media, in schools, in you know popular science reporting, and so on and so forth, and it challenges, it, it confuses a lot of Muslims, and uh, it, you know they think well, and so what happens is, is then that some Muslims try to try to reconcile between the true, between the two, because they think that this must be right, this must be right. Men are able to travel in space, and you know so. You can go into low earth orbit, you can't go beyond that. Right? So this is why someone might say, well, how come people have gone to space and astronauts? That's true. You can go into low earth orbit, which is probably 30, 40 kilometers, no more than that. And so you go above the earth's atmosphere, you can see the darkness of the sky, you know, you can see all that, and then, you know, you, you feel that you are in space. But you cannot go beyond that, no, you can't go anywhere higher than that. So yes, you can go into low, low earth orbit, but you cannot go beyond that. So, and this is what our scholars say. They say that as for the claim that you will inhabit the moon and you will go here, all of this is kadib. And it's not possible to leave the earth. And one of the evidences they use is the ayat in the Quran which say, مِنْهَا خَلَقَنَاكُمْ وَفِيهَا نُعِيدُكُمْ وَمِنْهَا نُخْرِجُكُمْ تَارَةً أُخْرَى From it we created you, to it shall we return you, and from it shall we return you once more. No person can die upon other than the, than the earth. Right? This is a proof against their so-called space travel and inhabiting other planets and so on and so forth. So all of these are fairy stories. They are not true. They are fairy stories. They are not true. So keep that in mind. So we have then, we have like the, the, the deceivers at the top and then we have the average people who just believe what they are told and they don't you know, really reflect and think about what these people are doing or saying. And then they try to combine between this ayah. Um, that one I quoted was in Surah Taha, I believe. Um, and you find in Surah Nuh as well, something similar. In Surah Nuh. We move now to the next hadith, and this is hadith number 25. And in this chapter we see that the kalima la ilaha illallah, it is something that will come and it will argue. The kalima will argue for the one who said it on Yawm al-Qiyamah. And this is the famous hadith of Usama bin Zayd, radiallahu anhu. قال بعث بعثنا رسول الله 
sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ila al-hirqat min juhayna fasabahna al-qawm ala miyahihim basically he's mentioning the story of uh, when he was dispatched on an expedition so the messenger of Allah sallam he sent us to a particular location in the direction of juhayna and so we came across a people near some you know some the oasis like waters and so I and another man from the Ansar, we came across a man. And so basically they fought him and they overwhelmed him. And when they overwhelmed him, he said, Qala la ilaha illallah. He then said the kalima. This is a man from the, mushrik, uh, from the mushrikeen, from the polytheists. So Usama said that the, 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 the Ansari, the man from the Ansar, he straight away he withheld. As soon as the man said, La ilaha illallah, he withheld. But I, I uh, stabbed him with my spear and I killed him. So when we returned, this reached the messenger of Allah Sallallahu So he said, Ya Usama, Akataltahu ba'dama qala la ilaha illallah? He said, Oh Usama, did you kill him after he said La ilaha illallah? Qultu ya Rasulullah, innama qalaha muta'awwidan. He said, Oh Messenger of Allah, he only said it to, to, for protection for himself, to protect himself as a, as a refuge for himself. فقال, so the Messenger of Allah said, Aqataltahu ba'dama qala la ilaha illallah. He repeated it again, same thing. He didn't listen to the answer of uh, Usama, he repeated it again. فَمَا زَالَ يُقَرِّرُهَا حَتَّى تَمَنَّيْتُ أَنِّي لَمْ أَكُنْ أَسْلَمْتْ قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ الْيَوْمِ and so Osama says he continued to repeat it again and again and again until I wished that I had not, you know, I had not, uh, that I had not accepted Islam before that day. And in another, another narration, in Bukhari Muslim, the messenger of Allah said, Afala an Did you not tear open his heart so you could see whether he's, did you not tear open his heart? Meaning, so that you could see whether he's, what's inside. Again, as a as an, uh, a rebuke against what he did, and likewise in Sahih Muslim, in his narration and in another report, uh, Osama said, "Ya Rasulullah, istaghfirli, O Messenger of Allah, seek forgiveness for me from Allah." But the Messenger replied, "Kaifa tasna' bila ilaha illallah idha jaat yom al qiyamah." What will you do? With La ilaha illallah, when it comes on Yawm Qiyamah. So from this hadith then, there are numerous benefits, a number of benefits. The first of them is again, the virtue and the excellence of La ilaha illallah. And that it will argue for the one who said it on Yawm Qiyamah. Which is the statement of the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, بِلَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ إِذَا جَاءَتْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ That's the first benefit. Second benefit is that the obligation to withhold from the one who says لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And clearly that is indicated clearly and evidently by the fact that the Messenger of Allah severely reprimanded Osama until Osama felt so uncomfortable. He felt, he felt so uncomfortable. And so it is obligatory to withhold from the one who says La ilaha illallah. Even if the circumstances indicate that this man is not being truthful. And in this, if you reflect upon this, look at how this is a refutation of the misguided khawarij, the terrorists and the extremists 
that even in a situation where a person, you know that from all of the circumstances you are engaged in a battle, the man's trying to kill you, he's trying to kill you, you've you know, gone backward and forward and he's tried to kill you numerous times, you defend yourself and all of a sudden you overpower him, you're just about to kill him and then he says, La ilaha illallah. What greater evidence can there be that this man is, you know, being untruthful and he's just said it muta'awwidan. For you to believe that is something that, that would be valid. And despite that, look at how the Messenger of Allah look at the look at the greatness of the kalima, La ilaha illallah. That even when all of the circumstances, they, 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 they prove without any doubt, or they were, that a person would imagine that they prove without any doubt, that this person is simply seeking a means of escape for himself. And that's the only reason he said it. And before that, 10-15 seconds earlier, minutes earlier, he was trying to kill you. How can this man be, be, be truthful? And despite all of that, the messenger of Allah he said what he said to Osama bin Zayd. So compare this to this situation, which is nowhere near to the, those situations in which the Khawarij, the terrorists, these ISIS people and other than them, what they do to, to Muslims. People who are Muslims who do not agree with their beliefs and their ideas and their extremism and their ex- excommunication, their takfir of the rulers and those who do, who do not agree with. Where is this from that? You know, this shows their ignorance and their misguidance. So this again, the obligation of withholding from the one who says La ilaha illallah. And uh, also from the benefits is, number three, an explanation beyond أَنَّهُ لَا يَعْلَمُ السَّرَائِرِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ No one knows the inner secrets of the heart except Allah. And that's why the Messenger of Allah he said in the hadith, أَفَلَا شَقَقْتَ عَنْ قَلْبِهِ Did he not tear open his heart? This is to show that only Allah knows the secrets of whatever the hearts contain. And also from the benefits from this is that we have been commanded to make judgment upon the people by the actions which are apparent from them. So whatever is apparent from the people, from their actions, this is how we judge the people. And as for the sara'ir, the secrets, we leave them to Allah. Now it's important that we understand this properly. Because there are people who will come along and they will misuse this point here. So, in this example, in this hadith, this man, he expressed the kalima. He expressed a statement which would have entered into Islam. So he's done a righteous deed. And so we look at that righteous deed, despite all the circumstances, we look at, the, we look at his deed. We can't see his, uh, you know, his beliefs and his intentions inside. But we look at the deed, and the deed apparently is a righteous deed. So we take him upon his zahir, and as, as we find the hadith, it's obligatory withhold. Right? What have we done here? We've judged him by the zahir, and we, we have left his inner secrets to Allah. Likewise, in another situation, uh, I'll give a different scenario now. We have a person who claims he's a person of the sunnah. He claims he's upon the way of the salaf. He claims he believes the aqidah of the salaf, of the sahaba, of Imam Malik, Shafi'i, Abu Hanifa, Imam Ahmed, 
Al-Awza'i, Al-Thawri, other than him. He believes in all this. He believes in Tawheed of Allah Azza He believes that he is with the scholars of the Sunnah. He believes he follows the methodology of, of Ahlul Sunnah. He says all these things. And yet in his actions, we see, what do we see in his actions? We see him uh, mixing, you know, attending the mosques of the people of Bid'ah. We see him attending and friends with the people who revile the scholars of the people of the Sunnah. We see him, you know, we see all these contrary deeds in his actions, which don't really agree with what he's professing or what he, you know, what he's alleging is, is in his heart. The same principle applies here now. We make hukum upon the zahir, what we see from an individual, that's how we're going to judge you. As for all the claims you are making, your sarair, we leave that with Allah You understand? So, your deeds, this is because the sharia has informed us, just like it has informed us that when a person says the kalima, you, you, you withhold, likewise it has informed us that when we see people uh, like the ayat in the Quran which speak about when you know sitting with those who are engaged in vain discourse, those ayat, likewise the ayat in the sunnah about the, 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 the companionship and then the athar of the salaf that speak about companionship and how to judge a person with whom he sits, whom he visits, whom he and so on and so forth and all the many, many you know, scores of narrations from the salaf in this regard, all of this indicates that we judge a person by his zahir, by what he's making apparent of his deeds. Who his company is, you know, who he speaks ill of, who he speaks well of, and who his allegiances are with, uh, and so on and so forth, who he defends, who he attacks. All these things, this is the zahir of a person. And so we judge that person upon the zahir. As for what he claims, you know, I'm upon the way of the salaf, and I love this scholar, and I love that scholar, and I'm with so and so, and I'm with. Oh, wait, that's, that's between you and Allah. That's between you and Allah, your secrets. We don't know. Allah knows what's, what's really in there. What we see from you, the Allah, what we see, then the Sharia has informed us that this is how we judge you. Right? A person is judged by his company and his wala and his bara and his and so on and so forth. So, because some people will use this thing here and say, look, just don't, don't judge the people's intentions and don't, you know, this or whatever. We're not judging people's intentions in this situation nor in that situation. Right, just like it's in that case with the with the kalima, the man, the mushrik who said the kalima. Likewise, in this situation, we're not judging your intentions. That's between you and Allah. Whatever, whatever is the truth. But what we're doing is we are judging you upon the zahir, your actions. You understand? So do not be deceived by the shubha that you see from the ikhwanis and the mumayya and people like them. You know, who bring this in order to defend uh, the people of Hizbiyah and people whose in whose actions there is clearly something which is objectionable. Also from the benefits from this hadith is that this hadith establishes the sanctity of life, blood, by way of this kalima. And we discussed this also in some of the previous hadith as well. This kalima is something that gives isma, sanctity and protection to blood and wealth. Also from this hadith, from the benefits that we take from this hadith, is that in the hadith hadith, there is an excuse for the muta'awwil. Muta'awil. Muta'awil is the one who makes a faulty interpretation. Right? So he's in a situation like Usama did here. He made a faulty interpretation. He held that this man was simply trying to protect himself and his life. He wasn't really interested in Islam. He was trying to protect his life. And that's why he said, La ilaha illallah. 
So Osama made the judgment, he just made the, the interpretation that this man is just trying to protect his life, so I'm, I'm going to kill him. And that interpretation was incorrect. His judgment was incorrect, what he, what he did. However, we see from the hadith that the Messenger did reprimand him and did severely rebuke him. However, there was nothing more on top of that which shows that he's excused for his ta'wil, for his faulty interpretation. And this hadith establishes that, that he's excused for that, even though he was blamed severely uh, and reprimanded. Also, from what this indicates in this hadith is بيان أن الجهاد وسيلة لتحقيق الاستجابة لهذه الكلمة An explanation that jihad is a means to actualize the response to this kalima. Right? Because the messenger of Allah he sent as the leader of a nation, as the authority, he sent and dispatched uh, people for this purpose. And so this also tells us that in opposition to the khawarij and the terrorists, Al-Qaeda, ISIS and these ignoramuses and fools, that jihad in Islam, likewise we give the same answer to the Islam haters from, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the ones who hate Islam, uh, from, you know, there's various groups amongst them, various factions amongst them, same answer we give to them as well. That if you look in the whole history and there are books written on this topic, like the history of warfare amongst civilizations. There are many books written on this topic where people have gone through and looked at all the wars and battles and you know the rules pertaining to them and you know how they take place. And then some of the, the universally agreed upon principles between all nations to do with war. Right? And in fact, there are some books which are, which are looked into, uh, which, which are on this, on this topic. And... They mention certain principles which, which are agreed upon by everybody. And one of those principles is that a renegade group, like a rebellious renegade group, can never, ever, ever be taken as the legitimate authority. Right? This is something that's universally accepted in the international law of you know warfare or international relations or whatever else it is right there are books written on this topic right so you know this is something and this is what the muslims say we say that the khawarij do not represent the muslim nation nor do they represent individual muslim states they are rebellious they are vagabonds they are extremists they are terrorists and you cannot take the laws of islam which are directed towards the legitimate authority, and then speak as if Islam sanctions this behavior of the rebellious extremist terrorists. Just, that's academic dishonesty. It's just dishonesty. It's just fraudulent to, to actually do and to say and to you know, behave like that, like we see the non-Muslims do. The Islam haters, that's what they do. And likewise, the Khawarij, they, obviously they are mistaken as well, because they assume an authority that they do not have in the Sharia. But as for warfare under the, you know, under the direction and guidance of the leader of the state who has legitimate authority and who has legitimate command of the army and other instruments of government, and so whatever, either for defense or for protection of interests or to pursue interests, then this is something that is recognized by everybody. Right? This is recognized by everybody in all nations, civilizations, that this is something that nations do. 
and nations assume the right to do, so there's nothing wrong, wrong with that. And this here, as we mentioned previously, that here it is to actualize la ilaha illallah, the truth. And so if nations can go and destroy other nations, carpet bomb them, wipe out hundreds of thousands of people for minerals, oil, you know, and whatever other reasons they have, which are worldly reasons, you know, to dominate people for wealth, for authority, for ulu, highness and facade, for corruption. All of that is are not noble objectives. They are objectives which are which are oppress uh, you know, they involve oppression and tyranny and transgression against the rights of the, against whole nations. So if that is something that, you know, is acceptable then calling people to La ilaha illallah. Now what is objectionable about that? And from the rights of La ilaha illallah, what follows on from La ilaha illallah is the rectification of nations. Right? If you look at all the things that Islam enjoins, the absence of, you know, the absence of usury, the absence of intoxicants, the absence of gambling, all the things that basically destroy a society and eat away a society. How can that be called corruption? How can that be called injustice? Do you understand? So, we do not shy from talking about these issues and establishing these issues, but in their correct, in the, in the correct way. And this has got nothing to do with the terrorists and extremists and, you know, the, the, these misguided uh, uh, people. So this is hadith number uh, 25 and we'll finish with the next hadith which again is similar in, in meaning. Hadith number 26 Ibn al-Musayyib an abihi qal So Ibn al-Musayyib relates from his father who said that when death came to Abu Talib the messenger of Allah sallam, he came and with him was Abdullah bin Abi Umayyah and Abu Jahl. Two of the leaders of the, of, the, of the pagans, the polytheists, they came. So he said, the messenger Faqal, he said, Ya Am, O my uncle, Qul la ilaha illallah, kalimatun uhaju biha laka indallah. O my uncle, say la ilaha illallah, a word on account of which I shall argue for you with it in the presence of Allah. So the, the, two, the, the other two men, the two polytheists, the two mushrikun, they said, they said to Abu Talib, أَتَرْغَبُ عَنْ مِلَّةِ عَبْدِ الْمُطَّلِبِ They said, are you going to seek a religion other than the religion of Abdul Muttalib? So the Prophet ﷺ, he repeated the same thing again. O oh my uncle, say la ilaha illallah, then I shall argue by way of it for you in the presence of Allah. So after going backward and forward, eventually Abu Talib, he settled upon the millah of Abdul Muttalib. He settled for the religion of his forefathers and he refused to say la ilaha illallah. So the Prophet then said, لَأَسْتَغْفِرَنَّ لَكْ مَا لَمْ أُنْهَ عَنْكَ I shall certainly seek forgiveness for you so long as I am not prohibited from doing so. And then Allah Azawajal, He revealed the ayah, مَا كَانَ لِلنَّبِيِّ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَنْ يَسْتَغْفِرُوا لِلْمُشْرِكِينَ 
ولو كانوا أولي قربا من بعد ما تبين لهم أنهم أصحاب الجحيم And likewise إنك لا تحدي من أحببت ولكن الله ولكن الله يحدي من يشاء وهو أعلم بالمحتدين Reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim In the first ayah it mentions that it is not permissible for the Prophet and those who believe that they seek forgiveness for the mushrikeen, even if they are near kindred, near relatives, after it has become clear to them that they are inhabitants of the fire. And likewise, the statement of Allah, indeed, you do not guide those whom you love, but Allah guides whom He wills, and He is more knowledgeable of those who are rightly guided. So from this hadith, there are numerous benefits. First of all, once again, as per the previous hadith, the virtue and the excellence of La ilaha illallah and how it will argue, it will be hujja in favor of the one who said it on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Secondly, and importantly, this hadith establishes that lineage will not save a person. Lineage will not save a person. This is the uncle of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And having that good relationship does not is not something <coughs> that is going to save a person if he dies upon shirk. <coughs> so we see Abu Talib is from the inhabitants of the hellfire, even though he is the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. And this is because he did not say La ilaha illallah. We see likewise the son of Nuh Islam was mentioned in the Quran. And likewise the father of Ibrahim, Azar. Likewise, so lineage, there is no consideration of lineage with Allah Rather it is Tawheed and actualizing Tawheed and believing in Allah that He alone has the right to be worshipped. So lineage, this hadith informs that lineage has, you know, it is not given consideration. Also from the benefits we see from this hadith is the effect of evil company. Look at this man who was thrown into the hellfire by way of these two evil companions right at the very end of his life. His life could have been sealed upon Tawheed had it not been for these two men arguing with the Messenger of Allah, contending with the Messenger of Allah and telling him, telling this man, um, you know, appealing to his, uh, his love of the way of the forefathers. They're appealing to that love. Are you going to leave the way of your forefathers? Appealing to that you know, idea and, and that belief and that sentiment in, in him to make him disbelieve, to make him remain upon disbelief, disbelief. So this is the effect of evil company. And how many people are led to Jahannam on account of evil company? So they hindered him from expressing the kalim of Tawheed and for that reason, they landed him in hellfire. Benefit number four is, as is clear in the ayah, it is not permissible to make the rahum and al-istighfar, invoking mercy and, and forgiveness, except for the people of la ilaha illallah. As we saw in the ayat that we, that the first ayah that we mentioned, <coughs> in when in which Allah said, "Ma kana lil Nabi wal-ladina amanu an yastaghfiru lil mushrikin walau kanu uli qurba min ba'd ma tabayn lahum tabayn lahum annahum ashabul jahim." So that ayah that we mentioned, 
uh, earlier. Also from the benefits from this hadith is that guidance, guidance meaning the guidance of success, no one controls that except for Allah Azza wa Jal. Because guidance is of two types. So in fact, Ibn al-Qayyim says that it, it has three levels. Guidance has three levels. First level is the guidance of al-Irshad. Al-Irshad is whereby the knowledge is conveyed to you. And this is for the prophets and messengers. And likewise for ourselves, we can convey the knowledge, the revelation of Allah, the guidance from the messenger of Allah. So in this sense, we are directing the people towards guidance. This is al-Irshad. Al-Irshad meaning guidance, directing people. And so this is something that a person who has knowledge can do this. Because this is from the ways and the means. And then there is the, the, the guidance of tawfiq. Tawfiq. This is the guidance of success. And this is something only Allah Azza wa Jal has control over. He is the one who gives success to an individual. And so Allah decrees for that individual certain events in his life. Maybe he inspires him with certain feelings or with certain choices in his life that lead him to situations in which he sees guidance and recognizes guidance. So Allah he's the one by way of al-qada wal-qadr, he brings things to a servant that will lead him to choosing guidance. This is something that Allah controls. It is outside of, 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 of our power to you know, force to make people to, uh, you know, accept guidance. We just simply convey. And Allah Azza wa Jal, He is the one who know, best knows who is guided and who desires guidance. That's the second level of guidance. And the third level of guidance Ibn al-Qayyim mentions is the guidance on Yawm al-Qiyamah, which is the guidance on the path over the bridge of hellfire. So that guidance is the third level of guidance. And as you know, that, guide, that bridge over hellfire we see in numerous hadith, I mentioned how, of how some people will pass like the lightning, some people will pass like uh, the blink of an eye, some people will pass as if on a swift horseback, some people will pass uh, running swiftly, some people walking, uh, some people, um, you know, uh, lacerated and crawling, and some people will be plunged into, into Jahannam. And all of this is in accordance with their deeds. And the ability of a person to walk over that bridge is in accordance to how he stuck to the guidance in this life. Like for like. This is what Ibn Qayyim says, that like for like. However, you are traversing this path right now, and every person knows how he's traversing the path. He knows, every, each person knows and feels about himself. That, you know, am I sinful? Am I upon istiqama? Do I really have deep-rooted knowledge? Do I, do I have shubuhat? Do I have doubts about, you know, certain things? Am I really, uh, you know, am I pious? Am I, how many good deeds do I do in a day? Am I lazy? Every person knows that about himself. Right? He knows how much he is upon the straight path. So to the extent that you are upon the straight path in this life, then exa in exactly the same way you will be walking on that path. Like for like. Like for like. So if you are stumbling and falling behind, 
on the path in this life, due to your neglect and sin or whatever else, then be sure that you will be doing the same on that path in the next life, like for like. That's what Ibn al-Qayyim says, like for like. So, from the hadith, we, t- we, we take that guidance of success, Hidayatul Tawfiq, is only with Allah Azza wa Jal. Also from the benefits that we take from this is <clears throat> the, 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 the great harm brought by venerating one's ancestors. When you venerate the ancestors, this brings a tremendous amount of harm. It leads you to oppose the truth. And that's why you see amongst the Muslims, and in fact even amongst many of the polytheists, the mushrikun, you see amongst the Hindus, there is ancestor worship. They worship the ancestors. There are these people now, that they've appeared now, the Kemet, you know, ancient Egyptian religion. Uh, these black people reviving this, this ancient Egyptian religion because they claim that their origins are from Egypt. It's like a, a black movement present today. Uh, sun worshippers, ancestor worshippers. Right? And they, they believe, well, we worship our ancestors because they created us. Right? Through the means of procreation. This is their aql. Right? They are our creators. So we worship them. This is their reasoning. Right? So when you, when you venerate the ancestors, it is a means of you rejecting the truth. And whole nations have gone astray on account of this. Likewise, you see this manifesting amongst the Muslims as well. Uh, you see them, uh, this veneration of the forefathers and what they are upon, the millah that they are upon, and they can't let go of that for the actual true and correct guidance. Also what we learn from this hadith, from the important benefit from this hadith once again, is that actions, al-a'mal bil khawatim, actions are by what they are sealed upon. Right? A person, what he dies upon, his actions are sealed by what he dies upon. إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالِ بِالْخَوَاتِيمِ As we see in an authentic hadith. So right at the end, this man, his life was sealed upon shirk and kufr. On account of veneration of the forefathers, on account of evil company. Evil company and veneration of the forefathers. Two things that destroyed him. And this is a refutation of those, there are some ignorant Muslims who claim that uh, Abdul Muttalib and his forefathers were upon Islam. Right? There's ignorant Muslims, mainly Sufis, who say the likes of this. Also, from the benefits, and we finish with this one, is that Abu Jahl and those who were with him, they were not ignorant people. They were ignoramuses. They knew what the kalima meant. They knew. When the messenger, so when he was saying to Abu Talib, say la ilaha illallah, they knew what he actually meant. He wasn't saying, worship Allah. They knew that he wasn't saying this. They knew that he was, say, that they knew that he was saying, disbelieve in all of the other deities, shun them and abandon them and disbelieve in them and worship only Allah alone. This, they knew that this is what the Prophet was actually asking him, uh, uh, you know, which is Al Kufr bi ma yu'bad min dunillah. To disbelieve in every deity there is worship besides Allah. To say basically that this deity does not have any rights or qualities or characters by which it deserves to be worshipped. It is a creation from the creations of Allah. 
It is not from aql to worship that which you know does not speak, does not give life, does not take life, does not you know, and all the other other qualities which he doesn't have. So they knew, they understood what the messenger was, what he was saying, when he said to Abu Talib, "Say la ilaha illallah." So Abu Jahl, uh, Abu Jahl here is knowledgeable of what Islam actually means. And this is a benefit that Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab rahimahullah, he points out that Abu Jahl in this situation, he knew exactly what the messenger was getting at. And so he you know, said what he said to Abu Talib and appealed to his instincts, his sentiments, you know, his veneration of the forefathers to tell him, look, are you going to leave and abandon the way of Abdul Muttalib and so on? And then, so that overwhelmed him and overtook him. And so he died upon the deen of Abdul Muttalib. So this brings us to the end of the 26th hadith. We'll stop there for today, inshallah ta'ala. And uh, in two weeks' time, we'll continue from uh, this point onwards. Uh, and we'll conclude that today. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.